You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Good to have you all here. If you're new here, uh, welcome. It's so good to have you. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the shore. We have Bibles at the back. If you do not have one of those, we do teach through the scriptures. So that is good to have in your hands. And we want to gift that to you. So please feel free to grab one of those. If you do not have a Bible, we would love for you to have that gift uh, from us to you. Well, if you're new here, also you're entering into the beginning of a sermon series we're going to do for the next, I guess, three weeks. We're starting with creation, moving into the cradle next week, and then Good Friday we're going to hit the cross, and then Easter Sunday we're going to hit um, the crown. And so you, that's where we're going to go with. And, and finding Jesus really throughout the story, from beginning to the end of the Scripture, we're going to find Jesus throughout the, the Scriptures. And it's really not a new thing. Uh, it's not a new thing that we do this. Uh, we, uh, we see this actually through Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 24, uh, Jesus talks about uh, showing the, these disciples, these men. And in, in the story is actually Luke 24. It's called the, the Road to Emmaus. And and he, he walks beside these two men, these two men that are actually leaving uh, Israel, leaving Jerusalem, I guess, after Jesus' horrific death. And they leave out of fleeing. They flee back to their homeland. They flee back to their moms or dads and, and to go back and to work with their fathers because they've been following Jesus as the coming Messiah for the last couple years. And because of the, this horrific death that they, they witnessed Jesus die on the cross, um, they were fleeing for their lives and also because, you know what, they don't have a Messiah to, to follow anymore. And Jesus shows up in Luke 24 uh, with these two men walking on this road back to Emmaus and these two men are heading back there and Jesus begins to talk to them and ask him, what is going on with you and what is going on in this story? What is, what is happening? And he kind of plays a little bit dumb uh, with these two men and these two men are kind of confused at this because it's like the whole uh, city knows about what, what just happened uh, to Jesus on the cross and, and they begin to explain to him uh, what took place. They thought he was the Messiah, but yet he must not have been because he died on the cross. And then Jesus says this in Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 27, he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So in the next few hours, then, Jesus talks to these two men and unpacks this amazing Bible study of like showing himself throughout all of the text of scripture. And still these men are blinded by who Jesus is, who the one he is talking with. Well, we don't know where Jesus started in that little Bible study, but many would say that he started at the beginning, and that's what we're going to do as well. We want to discover Jesus throughout the story, throughout this grand meta-narrative story uh, that he proclaims to these two men on the road back to Emmaus. And let me preface this by saying, by no means am I unpacking what Jesus said to these two men. I, I don't know. We actually, no one knows what Jesus said to these two men other than what he told us here in that little sentence there. He unpacks the fact that uh, Jesus is everywhere from the prophets to Moses and, and uh, 
that's all we get in the scripture. And I think he does this for a reason. He does this that we might dive into the scriptures and find out where, where he is. And it's only by his grace that he has done this. So the book of Genesis, going back to the very beginning, which I think that's where Jesus probably would have went, going back to the book of the beginnings, is an amazing book inspired by the Spirit written to Moses, written by Moses, sorry. It begins right from the beginning, how good God's creation was and how he, we as mankind came to be. In Genesis chapter 1, we see it is all about how God and how he laid the foundations of the world. And Genesis 2 focuses on God and the creation of man and the duty of man as priest, leader, and husband of his wife, Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, it is about God, man, and the enemy, the Antichrist, Satan. And some people have said, Genesis 3, in quote here, Genesis 3 is the most important chapter for understanding the whole Bible. Cut out Genesis 3, and the rest of the Bible would be meaningless. Mark Dever, a pastor, theologian, wrote this, carefully studying the history of something, particularly its beginnings, allows you to know its ultimate outcome before it happens. So without Genesis 3, we don't know where sin began. We don't have the redemption plan. We don't have the offspring of the woman to take out the offspring of Satan. Satan is the one who divides man and God by way of deception and manipulation. This is what Satan's whole goal was, to divide man from man and man from God, bringing questions to the man and woman that they have never experienced before, questions that distorted the authority of God. And this event is known as the fall of mankind. They fell from the grace that they lived in, so let's read it so we get a little bit of a renewal of the story. In Genesis chapter 3, verses, I'm going to go 1 through 15 this morning. It's on the screen there. You can follow along. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both, of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they, were heard, they, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? 
The woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat on the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the beauty of Genesis 3 in this little story here, the, the beginnings, the book of beginnings, the story of the fall, this is known as the fall. And the beauty of this, of this is that, that there is also the beginning or the initiation of redemption. It's like right there in the text. We have the fall of mankind, but also the initiation of redemption, God's glor, glory plan. It's all about him. This whole story is about him. It's about his grace, his love, his perfection, his whole sovereignty. And it's so beautiful. See, God loves his creation. One of the most common phrases in the scripture is, is that God's love endures, his steadfast love endures forever. And we are actually getting a picture of his love here in the midst of the curses given first to the snake and then to woman and then to man if you continue to read past verse 15. But this redemption plan is found within the second part of the curse given by God to the snake. And we see it in Genesis 3.15. It reads again, and this is where we will spend most of our time to get today, as I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Out of this verse, let's begin the journey to see Jesus throughout the story of Scripture. So let me pray one more time and then we'll jump into the text. Let's bow our heads together. Jesus, as we prayed earlier this morning, would you reveal yourself today in your word? And Lord, if I could humbly ask, could you reveal yourself throughout the week as we devote ourselves to reading the Bible? Lord, we thank you that we get to gather now and sing and hear from you today. May you, through your Spirit, grant us wisdom and knowledge and enough discernment to use these gifts for your glory and not ours. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I've outlined this verse, this one little verse, three in, with three things. You can see it on the screen. Hatred. Hatred is generational, and hatred leads to action. Hatred leads to action. So let's start with number one there. Hatred. Again, looking at chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is our first point. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, enmity is not a common word used today. It just simply means ill will or hostility. This is what I will put hostility between you and the woman, you snake and the woman. Matthew Henry has said this. He's a theologian that said this, when two people get together with evil intentions... He says this, sinful friendships justly end in mortal feuds. Those that unite in wickedness will not unite long. And, but this was no friendship, right? Satan came speaking through the snake to kill and destroy, and he came with deception. He came to deceive and confuse the clear words of God with evil intent and this story is told throughout the scripture. In the first chapter of Proverbs, we see it when the king is speaking wisdom to his son, warning him of evil and what it does to those who are entrapped by it. 
Like if you read through the first chapter of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 9 through 19, you see this amazing story of a, a good father talking to his son and talking about, like, do not get entangled with sin. Actually, the, the ones that sin are wanting to kill and destroy. They want to go after those that are meek and, and weak, and they want to take their money. They want to throw them into a pit and take what, the, what is theirs and may, pad their wallets. And then he ends with Proverbs 1, 19. He says this, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away, that unjust gain takes away the life of its possessors. And this is the enemy of God. Satan has set himself up against God and all of his creation and will do anything to bring it to ruin. He'll do anything. He's evil. He's deceptive. And he wants to do anything to destroy you. And here with Adam and Eve, he has tempted them with unjust gain. And it's going to kill you. See, he came to befriend Eve only to deceive and manipulate that she might lose her life. And you may have friendships in school like this if you're in school. You may have friends like this at work. You have friends like this maybe in your neighborhood that are seeking unjust gain, that are seeking to kill and destroy. And you sought after maybe evil rather than good. Maybe you tag-teamed with them in the years past or maybe presently seeking after these things. And those friendships often ended with severe discipline for one or both of you, breaking your friendship because of the hurt. And the discipline you experienced at that moment was actually a blessing in disguise. If you think back on that, it was a blessing in disguise. And that's kind of what we see here with Adam and Eve. See, discipline, like the Bible commands us as parents and within the church, is what brings truth and a recalibration of sorts to the grace you have received from the beginning. Discipline is really good. It's actually a really good thing. It's a blessing in disguise because it's in disguise because it doesn't feel good at the moment. See, in the light of godly discipline, you will return to the loving hand that brings the discipline. And this is what Eve experienced. But think about it. Not the snake. The snake didn't receive this. See, in the case with the snake, it was cursed to crawl the remainder of its existence, licking dust and biting at the heels of others, only to be crushed in return. Now this curse was between woman and snake, but like all sin, it can flow into other parts and areas of our lives. And the hostility towards snakes is real and begins at birth. And if I can remind you, it is God-given. Like if you look at the text, it says again, I will put enmity, I will. God will. God will put hostility between you, snake, and the woman. I actually read a very long study, like a long article, a scientific article, which is interesting to read sometimes, on why is there four times, get this, four times the amount of fear and phobia in women than men around snakes. It's, I was actually quite interested to find this. It was a massive waste of my time to read it, though. As most scientific articles come to, the, the conclusion of the article, it was like, it was just a guessing game. It just became a guessing game. 
they discovered that there was four times the phobia in 11-month-olds, women, comparatively to men, if you can call women and men at 11 months old, four times the amount of phobia of snakes. And they're like, why? Well, it must be because of child rearing and protection of their babies. At 11 months old? Or just maybe the Bible is telling the true story of the world. And there's hostility ingrained in the woman now, in the offspring of woman, that there is fear and phobia and hostility between snake and them. Just maybe. So we can either go along with the guessing game of our scientific studies in the lab or just simply believe the story of Scripture. That this has been a curse from the beginning of time that was given by God to the woman and the snake because of their disclosure, because of their disobedience, sorry. And this hatred between the woman and the snake is real and will continue on until the day of Jesus' return. Now, this hatred can be viewed as a bad thing, right? Women, you will never have right relationship with snakes, right? That could be a really bad thing for you. Maybe you really want and desire a right relationship with a snake. I don't know. Or get this, or it can be viewed as something of a warning. Now follow me with this. Of a growth in discernment. Maybe as a reminder to the woman to be the helper they were called to be from the beginning. Now follow this. Remember, women were deceived, but now women are living out a result of a curse given to the snake that awakens a fear of evil and deception that might bring them harm. You following? It's awakening them to evil. There's a hostility now towards evil. There's a hostility towards Satan. That God, it's God-given. I'm about to be a grandfather, all right? I'm quite excited, right, uh, just to dote on this little baby and spoil them rotten, feed them tons of sugar, and then hand them back to their mom and dad, all right? I've warned my kids about this. I will spoil them. They will think I'm the best, and they will not like you, <laughs> all right? Because I will dote on them and then walk away. All right, but I'm, so I'm very excited. So we, we went as a family, like Michelle is about to give birth at any time, but yet the Lord's timing is better than our timing. So, but we went to Kelowna to visit with them, and we were hoping for a, a grandbaby. Anyways, it never happened. And so now every text message is like, oh my goodness, uh, but it's not happening yet. But anyways, we're in fr Friday morning, we head back to Vancouver. So Friday morning, we get together with the family one last time at McDonald's. Why would you not go to McDonald's for breakfast, right? Get some hash browns and some sausage egg McMuffins, good tasty treats. So we're in McDonald's hanging out. And this is 9 a.m. in the morning, somewhere around there, about 9 a.m. And the thing that you most expect to happen at McDonald's happens, right? Like a fight breaks out in the lobby, it's like, what is going on in Kelowna? Why are you fighting at 9 a.m. in the McDonald's lobby? And so I'm sitting there enjoying my sausage egg McMuffin, and all of a sudden these people are like throwing fists. And so as a, as a husband, as a man, it, it, like I'm trying to live out Genesis 2, 
that I was called to protect. I was called to have dominion over the land and, and, and the, the creation, actually walk in humility and guide and lead and be a priestly to the people around. Not only protect my family, but to protect other people from harming themselves. And it helps being six foot seven. And so I go over to these two guys that are throwing punches and they were about to throw some more and I just stepped in the middle of them and I said, stop. And like I said, it helps to be big because they both looked at my chest and then they were in like, like they're noticeably their face went like that and they looked up at my face and then they just started pointing fingers at each other. He started it. No, he started it. I, you saw it, right? And I said, just stop. This is not the place to do this. It's actually never a place to do this. And after it de-escalated, my 16-year-old daughter was shaken over it. As I said to get up, let me get out, because I was stuck in the corner of the booth. Let me get out. She like bolted. She thought like get out of McDonald's. They breaking windows to get out of the store. Like I'm getting out of here, right? She was shaken up, and we talked about this on the way home. It was something that she was not used to seeing, like, and she shouldn't, especially at 9 a.m. in the McDonald's lobby. It was evil. She had a hyper awareness to evil. Could this be a deepened awareness of the presence of evil that God implanted in her, a hostility towards it? Could her natural reaction be help to those men around her? Like all the men in McDonald's should have stepped into that area and just said, stop, it's enough. This is not right. And could the women in that McDonald's gone reaction of fear and what is going on here this is wrong and men reacting on that and saying yes stop this is wrong see the hostility between the snake ought to be an eternal reminder that there is evil that is coming for us and wants to kill and destroy every evil that we see now is a reminder that there's a hostility between us and the satan And it should be a reminder to us to flee. See, like in Proverbs, going back again, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, again, a good father speaking to his son, warns his son, if sinners entice you, do not consent to it. Do not consent to it. Do not consent to evil. And this is no different in Genesis chapter 3. Our good heavenly father is giving out the consequences of our sin but he is good and loving father that wants the very best for us. So yes, there are things we will suffer, but the things we have to now carry are also a reminder for us to not consent in any longer. So we could read this curse upon the snake as a no-win situation, but for the woman and all who follow, It is the most gracious gift because it is a reminder to obey our creator and flee from anything that distorts his words. To flee from it. See, Genesis 2, chapter 8, when he created man and woman, he said this, he, he spoke of this when it comes to marriage. He said, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Helper means undergirder. I will 
make for him someone to undergird his duty, undergird his leadership, to help him in what he is called to do. And here the fit that the man might see evil more readily and lead the family. And this is what we are called to do, men. Take heed of what's going on around with your wife or your, or your daughters or, or the other women in the air, general area. What is happening around that we might step in and to protect from the evil around us. And ladies, you will have hostility towards evil, possibly four times the amount of a man towards the snake, towards the devil. May you use that hostility to be the helper that God has created you to be. That you may notice the things around you and warn the people around you rather than partake and consent to it. Remember, God is in the business of using evil and turning it for good. And this is exactly what he's doing. He's beginning this with the curses towards the snake. So we all to hate sin. Secondly, and this leads to our second point, hatred is generational. Take, get, take a look again at Genesis three fifteen, the second portion there. It says, between your offspring and her offspring. This hatred, is, this hostility is going to be between your offspring, snake, and her offspring. So this hatred or hostility is now passed to all generations following Eve. This means not just the ladies have an adverse reaction to the things of Satan, but all of mankind ought to have an adverse reaction. We know when we do wrong, don't we? We, we know when we do wrong, unless, of course, you're living out Romans chapter 1 and you're just suppressing the truth. You're burying it. But the reason you're suppressing it is because you know it's wrong, so you're suppressing it. So there's a, there, you always know that you're doing wrong. And we also know when we see wrong, unless you again suppress it, consenting to the evil. And this curse, again, put a spotlight on evil, and he put a spotlight on Satan. And the spotlight revealed that Adam and Eve were not alone, but that there was an enemy that was trying to cause division between God and his creation. And that he did a pretty good job at it. He divided them right at the beginning when he asked the question, what happened? And Adam's response, it was the woman that you gave me. It was the woman that you gave me. He blamed woman and, and God at the same time. The woman blamed the snake. It was the snake that you created. It was a constant blame shift. He did a good job of deception. So now with Satan being exposed as the deceiver, he had to switch his tactics and now got even more deceptive through the story of Scripture, taking on the image of a sheep while being a wolf in the inside to kill and devour. And this hatred is shown very visibly in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 17. Now he becomes the dragon. It says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is living out his curse. He is now completely hostile towards anybody that confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is our enemy. So if we don't think persecution is coming, 
I, I don't know what to say to you other than you're not reading the Scripture. Suffering will come. Trial will come. And sometimes it is coming because you love Jesus Christ and you will be persecuted. See, the hostility between Satan and us is real. The denial of God is exactly what the offspring of the serpent desires. He wants you to deny God just like he did right at the beginning of the first temptation. But not just the denial of the idea of a God, but the denial of the one true creator God, Jesus. And this is what we are living in today. There are those that want to kill and destroy, use and abuse those in their path by way of, the fo- of following their own heart and the original lie found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. And that original lie still applies to us today. It says this, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like, like God, knowing good and evil. And that's the lie people follow, isn't it? And they make it more than like God. They actually turn it and go, I want to be God. And we take it one step further. Our evil hearts take it one step further. And we want to be God. We want our comforts, want our desires, want our wants and our felt needs. She rather than humbling ourselves to another, come on, I don't want to humble myself. I don't want to hand over my life to another especially the Almighty God. I want to be the Almighty in this story. But God in His amazing grace. Man, I was thinking about this this week. Like, think about just that statement. God in His amazing grace. Like, just rest on that statement for a bit. God in His amazing grace. Like we were hostile towards him, trying to take him off the throne. And God, in his amazing grace, makes a way out for the offspring of Eve. Even here in the garden, he draws near, he addresses the sin, he seeks confession, he desires repentance, he wants renewal, he wants reconciliation with his creation by God's amazing grace. And he leads the way by way of sacrifice and covering his people from their sin. He covers Adam and Eve in their nakedness and allows them to live. God and his amazing grace. God does what we cannot. See, there is a redemption work happening since the fall of Adam and Eve, and God has created hostility between us and the enemy because of a very bad partnership that Adam and Eve partnered with him for a moment in time. And this was actually for our benefit. For our benefit, God caused hostility between us and the enemy. For our benefit. And that partnership caused all of creation to be broken, the partnership between us and the evil one. But God in his steadfast love and his grace is reversing the devastation of sin and bringing us back to him through this curse, through this curse with the snake. God is bridging the gap of hostility that we feel between us and and him, and he is making a deep valley of separation between us and the evil one. And it's actually really simple. God has given us clear guidelines He has set up the redemption plan. All we are called to do, friends, is to believe, to confess, 
to share and to follow. Hatred, hostility. Hatred is generational and for our good. And lastly, hatred leads to action. Look at Genesis 3.15 again, the last portion of it. It says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a war that takes place between one offspring and another. Just one. And this offspring is from the woman. No man involved. Meaning the seed of man had no play in his birth. There is only one who was born of a virgin. That is Jesus. There is only one who can pay the penalty of mankind, past, present, and future. Jesus. There is only one who died for the sins of his people. Jesus. There is only one who has resurrected from the dead and fulfills all covenants of the scriptures. Jesus. There is only one who can crush the head of Satan and claim victory over sin and death, and that is Jesus. And there is only one that was lifted up to take the curse of mankind in full, and that is Jesus. Romans 16, verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The, cr- the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. In our book that we've been covering, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the latter part of that verse, it says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And then in Revelation verse 20, verse 10, or chapter 20, verse 10, sorry, it says, The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I'll close with Isaiah 43:11. It says, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Savior for what? Well, the penalty. The penalty that we all deserve. The redemption plan started in Genesis 3. And it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. See, hatred leads to action. And the action of our loving and gracious Father is the Son, Jesus Christ that he came to live a perfect life that we could not, and Adam and Eve could not. Jesus came to live that life for us. Jesus came to die for our sin, the penalty that we could not pay. It'll take an eternity to pay off one lie. And obviously we've done more than this, and Jesus came to live a perfect life and die a perfect death, taking the curse upon himself that we might live And then he rose again, giving us a great hope in eternal life with him. Something that we could not do, defeating sin and death fully, that we might have hope in him. And if you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too will be saved. 
Now it's our, our call in this story, in this grand story, started back in Genesis 3, is to now live this out. Not just to know it, but to live it. To have joy living this out in full. Glorifying God in His amazing grace. His amazing grace. That He lived, died, and rose again for you. You did nothing, and he did everything. To God, all the glory, all the way back to the book of beginnings, for his name's sake and for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the serpent crusher. You are the very offspring of Eve, to come and crush the head of the serpent, to take the fatal wound of sin and death and punishment uh, and the curse of sin upon yourself that we might live and your resurrection defeats the enemy once and for all, casting the enemy into eternal hell. And I pray, Jesus, that we will continue to seek out this story, continue to seek and dive and dig into the scriptures wherever you talked about, back in that road to Emmaus, Lord, that you will reveal to us this week and for the weeks to come, the months to come, as far and as long as you delay to return, that we will see you, Jesus, and through all, the, all of the writings of Moses and the prophets and the apostles, that we will see you clearly in the scriptures, that you have presented yourself over all these years that you are the coming Messiah and that you are coming again to fulfill your amazing covenant. Jesus, we thank you that you are our eternal high priest and help us now surrender to you not only in song but as we partake in communion and remembering what you have done on the cross for our sins. Jesus, we pray. Amen.